Good morning and welcome to Everyday Law. I am your host, Bob Clark. We are privileged today to have two of the preeminent lawyers in the state of Maryland. One of them, a returning champion, Cece Pace, is back from the Mediation Center. Welcome back, Cece. Well, thank you, Bob, for having me again. And we have Jolie Weinberg in her first time appearance. And we're delighted to have you. You're a Buckeye graduate, I saw earlier, and looking through your uh, resume. Yeah, we didn't do so well this weekend, but otherwise, we're a Buckeye. You know, you can be proud about that. Yeah. So I always have to preface this show with the fact that any of the opinions that are expressed on this show are not those of Howard County Community College, its faculty, staff, or employees. And any information that is provided is not intended to be legal advice for the purposes of people's individual legal situations. If you need a lawyer, it is imperative that you speak to one and marshal your facts and make sure that they understand how best to serve your needs. And with that caveat, I'd like to start with what I've been talking to a lot of people lately about, and, and that is how has COVID-19 affected your legal world, Jolie? So I think and I think CCO agree. We've been doing a lot of mediations by Zoom. I've done a few online, a few in person, but mostly online. And that's kind of become the norm lately. We thought we'd kind of muddle out of this and start doing more in person. But I think people are starting to realize that it works by Zoom. It works by using remote and it's going well. And I'm, I'm sure CC's the same way. We've been settling the cases. We do the breakout rooms and I think it saves people a lot of money because rather than waiting a year or two to go to court and also having people have travel expenses to get to the mediation, everyone's feeling like it might be a little bit of an economical break to have the mediations by remote. So do you find that there's any change in the overall rate of success for the mediations as between in-person ones and Zoom ones? I think that it's just as successful. I think that I've had Probably most all of mine have settled except for one or a few stragglers. But I think that most people realize that it's going to be a longer process because the courts are really backed up. And I think they also realize that, you know, sitting home and thinking about long term what they want to do. And I think people are reflecting more because they have a lot more time and they're thinking, you know, do I want to spend tens of thousands of dollars going to court or do I want to resolve it? and move on. And I think that I'm seeing more people saying, you know, I just want to get this over with. I don't think it's worth spending time and money trying to wait for the courts to hear my case. Is that your experience as well, Cece? It actually is. I have not seen a big difference in how the process works online as far as having the conversations, getting to resolution on some or all of the issues. And actually, it's very effective in family law from the perspective of if people can't get along, they're less inclined to be engaging if they're not in the same room. And so from my perspective, I think it is actually been proven as a positive. I think we were all drug into it, kicking and screaming. But now that we've been doing it for over 18 months to two years, it's being able to include people who don't want to travel an hour to two hours to get to a, a central location, or people in other states are able to participate. We actually have someone from Las Vegas that's going to attend a training I'm presenting next week because it's, they're able to do it now that we're doing the trainings online. And so I think from a, a logistical perspective, people like it more. 
And I'm finding that people tend to be more willing to schedule things when they know they don't have to put that drive time in as well. Is there anything that either of you have done differently with your mediations? I think pretty much it's the same, but it's the breakout rooms are used more than they were normally. Cause normally you'd be like, I got to get out of the room. We got to go find another room. We got to find a place to caucus. It's a click of a button. And I think that people like that they can click out of the room, have a conversation, click back into the room. And I, I think the breakout rooms are really helpful in settling the cases because Oftentimes, the breakout rooms that allow people to kind of air their frustrations, not to blow up the mediation. And then they can do that and jump right back into the meeting. And it's not like a real to-do. It's not like you got to gather up your stuff and move to the next room. And, you know, it's easier to say, hey, can I run into a breakout room with you and do this quickly? And I think that it helps the success rate. And I'm finding that to be true as well. It's more efficient to have the breakout rooms. And the other piece, the two pieces I like are that I can have my notes and be typing my notes without looking away from the screen, without having to look down to write. I'm typing as we go and I can stay engaged with the people while I'm making notes. And share screen is also a big mm-hmm. because I tended not to use whiteboards for the same reason. It's you're getting up, you're moving. Usually it was because people were not focusing on the issues and you want them to focus on them. Well, now I can just put everything up and make sure everybody understands everything by typing it out on a shared screen. There's prep, I gather, that goes into you're doing these things, including, I don't know whether it's laying out economic stuff or or issues that are, are agreed or disagreed, or is that kind of what your, your prep is? Yes. And, you know, sometimes when I think people aren't hearing same thing using the screen can also clarify numbers as you were talking about the finances that's a big one because i always tell people you need to check my math i am a lawyer because my math is not the best and i actually literally yesterday did some math in my head and dropped ten thousand dollars so i had to go back and redo it with a calculator and show them what the real numbers were but they can see things and check things and hear see what i'm hearing and that's very helpful. And in, in a, you know, unless you're putting it up on a screen and typing and have that capability in a conference room, which more and more do have, I find it just to be helpful for them to see what I'm understanding and correct me as we go. If they're saying, no, that's not what I meant, or you know, no, that's not correct. So Jolie, I I, I know Cece's background because we've had her on as a prior guest. Could you give us a little, you know, insight into your background and what's brought you to doing this stuff on a regular basis? So ironically, I was an economics major, so I should be able to do math, Cece, but I can't type. So I'm impressed that you can type. I can't type, but I can do math a little bit. And then I started doing family law out of law school and I started in 1990 and it was just It felt like second nature to me and I've done it ever since. And that's all I do. And I love it because I feel like I help one family at a time, not the whole universe, but one family at a time. And I actually love, love, love the mediations and the collaborative practice because rather than going to court and blowing stuff up, I'm able to tell people it's like putting a puzzle together. You put all the pieces on the table and you start putting it together so that you can help people kind of put their lives back together in a different format. So um, I've been doing mediation since like 92, probably Cece and I were probably the pioneers of mediation because at first it wasn't really 
embraced by lawyers because they thought it would take away a lot of their business. But I think over time, people have realized that mediations like the wave of the future and it's the way that people can stay out of the court system and not spend a fortune and not drag their kids through an ugly process. So I love it. And I think it's uh, probably the most productive part of my practice. That's wonderful. So do you two ever work together in these mediations? Actually, I think we co-mediated one, but oftentimes when matters are referred to Jolie, her firm refers a lot of mediations to me and knowing their firm and how they're mediation friendly is very helpful. They know I'm not going to lean their way just because, you know, Jolie's a friend of mine or I really like the the lawyers at that firm, but they know that they're going to get a, a neutral mediator who doesn't just sit back and say, what do you think? Where would you like to go? But actually is asking questions designed to move people forward towards the future. I like having Cece because I know she's very matter of fact and straightforward and I actually have a case that just came in a couple of days ago and I know Cece's going to be the mediator. I'm like very happy because I know she'll work hard to get it resolved, which I like. So tell me a little bit about your firm, Jolie. I, I know there are other lawyers. Just kind of give us the evolution of it and, and what people do and you know that sort yeah. of thing. I started practicing on my own in 92 and I was by myself for three years. And then my partner, Marnie Schwartz, and I got together in 95. And um, we started out just the two of us. And now we're at seven lawyers. Wow. And we do all, only family law and all types of family law. And, you know, I do quadros, which are the pension orders that people have to have completed so that their retirements get put together and distributed correctly. Adoptions, guardianships custody, child support, every aspect of it. But if you walked in and said, we need you to do a contract for a business, we couldn't do Like, this is what we do. We do family law and that's it. But we all really like what we do. And most of the lawyers have been with us for quite some time. So it's nice. And we have a nice group of people. Mm-hmm. I had a very dear friend uh, who is now deceased, died, I think, three years ago, named Catherine Kester. And Kathy was a lawyer down in College Park. Mm-hmm. And I mean... You're both youthful. Kathy was a good deal older and a good deal older than me. And we sort of just inadvertently became really close friends. And she did a lot of estate law and a lot of domestic law. And so she would refer any kind of litigation to me. But periodically, I need to find capable and honest domestic lawyers. And so I remember asking her who to talk to in Howard County. And of course, I knew Cece already. But without knowing you at all, she recommended you as highly as any lawyer that she had encountered there. And it was sort of ironic because I didn't really know you and I didn't know that you and Cece were friends. And, and we've you know had a couple social occasions that we've been together since then. But it's kind of a nice thing to have people from afar recognize that you do some really wonderful things and recommend you. And then it kind of comes full circle where here you are on everyday law talking to me and I'm able to recount the words of a person who is now deceased, but who was a wonderful, wonderful and interesting person. She was great. I remember Catherine from a million years ago when I was a young lawyer and um, I was, when I started out, I didn't have a lot of cases. So I volunteered at the, for pro bono cases. And I just took a bunch of cases just so I could stay busy and give back. And because I volunteered so much, the person who headed the pro bono group would ask other people to send me real cases where I actually got paid. And Catherine was one of those people. 
And she and I co-counseled on a case years ago and it was fun and we had a good time and we, we worked together beautifully and I miss her. You know, I miss her too. I was asked by Prince George's County Bar Association, they have a Memorial Day and, mm-hmm. you know, where they, they talk about the people who've passed in the last year. And I went there and I recognized there was a bunch of judges and, you know, a large crowd there. And there were some, you know, in the Maryland bar scheme of things, famous people who had passed away. So there were some big shot lawyers. And I got up and I said, you know, none of you probably know her. And yet she is the backbone of our, I'm getting very clumped, but, it's, you know, she's the kind of person who made it possible for my wife as a lawyer, for both of you, for mm-hmm. all the women subsequently, because she was enough older, there were no women doing things. And, mm-hmm. you know, it just, I, I just had such tremendous affection and respect for her. And it was a nice thing to get up. And even though nobody knew her other than me in that little room, I felt like she got honored in an appropriate way. And uh, that's nice. She's, yeah. she is an every man lawyer. She would take every case in any case and had a heart of gold. She also yeah. had a wonderful dachshund that charged around her office and sort of acted like it was annoyed with you all the time. So uh, <laughs> I missed got that. you out of there quickly. Yes, yes. <laughs> is there anything either of you think is negative about the Zoom experience as opposed to in-person mediation or litigation? I mean, I think you do miss the eye contact as much in the nonverbals. The thing that I know we both worry about, because I know it's in our mediation rules, because Cece and I have swapped those out. Now that we have mediation by Zoom, there's a whole different set of rules. And I think we've shared and tried to compare notes, but you know, you don't know if someone else is in the room. You don't know if the child is in the room. You don't know if the grandparents are, you know, out in the hall or what have you. So there's a little bit of that. And sometimes you get distracted people. I, I think we laughed about this last night that I had one client who it wasn't mediation, but she came to the initial consult by Zoom. And um, I had a, one of the other lawyers sit in with me and she was wearing a negligee and laying on her bed for the initial consult. And that was kind of awkward to say the least. It was At least no nudity. No, thank God, but it was pretty close. <laughs> <laughs> what, what did you think was up with that? I don't know. It was just a very weird situation. And I mean, there's some weird things on Zoom and I'm sure people have seen, <laughs> Cece probably has a few stories to share too. <laughs> I, I think the biggest thing about Zoom is since you're not in the room, there is a slight loss of accountability. Okay. That's a sense of a lower formality. So, you know, people come, you know, my biggest concern is when people feel they can drive their car. I've had people who are working as drivers driving their trucks and unloading the trucks while we're doing the mediation. And, you know, I often will stop those and say, we need to schedule this at a time when you're on because the courts have ordered it. You need to be a participant and you need to be focused. I also don't want to be the reason someone goes off the road because they get upset by something said in mediation. But so there is a little of that accountability. I do think that you learn a lot from what people do on Zoom, you know, if people, their cameras suddenly don't work, you know, ah. yeah, that's a little bit of a, to me, a power play when you know they probably do work. Could be true that they don't, but 90% of the time, not so much, you know, but people will also, I had one woman who was very angry with the other, you know, with her spouse and soon to be ex-spouse and was doing her laundry, like folding her laundry and letting the three-year-old run in and out of the 
the session and refused to stop until I finally said, all right, well, then we're going to have to end the mediation. And then she made sure the child was with grandma in another room and stopped and sat down. That's a little bit harder because if they're in your, your office, it's a little bit more formal. A little passive aggressive, it sounds like. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes you get a little bit more of that on Zoom because they're not in the same room as you are. And while they want the mediator to generally like them in almost every mediation, they want to impress the, the mediator. Sometimes they don't recognize the appropriate way to do that. A negligee probably laying back on your bed was not the appropriate way to make a good impression. <laughs> so the biggest thing for me about the in-person is with the continuing COVID, I'm very cautious because, you know, my husband is older has some health issues. I don't want him exposed, even though we're fully vaccinated and have our boosters. And I have a, a young, an under five-year-old grandson that I don't want to be told I can't see because I've met with somebody. So my in-person rule at the moment is that you have to be vaccinated because right. I don't like masks. Masks hide a great deal of the body language that we read as mediators to see kind of when people are uncomfortable or when they are angry, even though they say, I'm not angry, yet they're seething, you know, you can see them. And I think that's the one thing I wanted to ask some of the judges is, you know, what's your experience with having a trial with people who are masked? You know, I think it limits some of what they can do and see. So those, you know, my big thing would be, I'd be checking their green cards when they come in, meaning the vaccination cards and not what we usually term a, a green card here in the U.S. because of that. I just, you know, and that may limit some of the people who want to use me as a mediator, but it's, you know, we each have to reach our own level of comfort on how we mediate, when we mediate, and where we mediate. And, you know, I think we do have control over that. Are some people insistent about doing it in person or doing it by Zoom or the circumstances under which they do things? I think some people do want it in person. I, I mean, I've, I've had to have a couple that are in person and it's fine. Like I'm, you know, I don't know now with this new variant, if I'm going to feel the same way, but I think some people would prefer it. And it's usually when lawyers are involved, it's very seldom when it's just the clients. So lawyers might say, I really want to have us all in the same place in the same room. And that tends to be the request. And I don't, I'm like Cece, I don't mind. I don't check green cards. I don't check cards but it's good faith. And um, we do, our office went back to wearing masks. So we do wear masks. Now, what I'll do is if I'm in a room and it's only two people and it's a large enough room, I'll just put everyone on one side of the room and we won't wear masks. But if there were like six or seven of us in a room, I would ask that masks be worn because, you know, I don't want anyone leaving and saying, I picked up COVID at Weinberg and Schwartz. That won't look so good. That would not look so good. So what's the breakdown for both of you on your mediations percentage-wise as between in-person and remote? I have not had the same experience as Jolie in that anyone that's asked for an in-person, I basically said I prefer the remote because here's what would be required. And they usually say, okay, we'll do the remote. And I probably have 10% in-person. Okay. It's not that much. I think two I've the two I've had since it started two or three, it's been lawyers. So it's usually the lawyers, the clients, and I. And mm -hmm. what I normally do is I put the lawyer and the client in one room and the lawyer and the client in the other room. And I go back and forth between the rooms because usually it's that 
if it's not Zoom, it's probably more acrimonious. And so I have to go back and forth anyway. I gotcha. We call that shuttle diplomacy. I, I like that. I like that. Are there any issues that are less susceptible to being resolved remotely in your view? Power imbalances. If there's an extreme power imbalance, it's harder to really get that in play because, you know, the side that doesn't want to speak up tends not to want to speak up even more so. And the other side, you know, feels like they can be more aggressive if they're farther away. Although I I think in person, I've had some issues with someone who literally tried to jump over the table to grab the other spouse. Oh, my. Yeah, yes. And that was... I dealt with it verbally, but I'm like thinking, what do I do now? Do I do I dive down the middle of the conference room and split them apart, or do I just... I just think one quick CC pays karate chop would end things. I think so. I think so. I've been practicing. Yeah. I only had that with lawyers. I had two lawyers that went at each other, and I had to break it up. It was early, early morning um, mediation, so it was at eight in the morning, and nobody was there except me, and I thought, oh my gosh, <laughs> if they go at each other mm-hmm. what gender were these lawyers men oh I, what a surprise <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and i did have to put them in separate rooms i had to like you say you go to that room and you go to that room and it was bad it was in their face calling each other names so was that do you think a function of their clients or was that a function of their own sort of personal animosity i think it was a function of the lawyers <laughs> okay i mean because there is that yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would think I had, remote would, would reduce that somewhat. Yeah. I mean, I think that there's less, I think you're right. I think there's less of the, you know, trying to show their, their, their brute strength. You know, I think people will still go at it with each other, but when you, when you use those breakout rooms correctly, they really can't. I mean, it kind of takes away all the thunder of trying to show that they're tougher than the other guy. Yeah. There's less posturing in front of the client. So is there any breakout kind rooms? of doubt? And I've heard this from clients and lawyers about whether a breakout room secretly, the other side can listen or any of that stuff? No. No. Okay, no. good. If there's, good. Yeah, and I mean, and I've double checked by going back into main session and trying to see if there was any way I could click in without being in the room. And even for me as the host, I can't do it. I I've, can, never, I, I've never even heard that as a suspicion before, but that almost sounds like the chips they put in our vaccination. So I don't know, that sounds pretty- uh, Yeah, where do you come down on the chips, Julie? <laughs> I have a couple in my arm. I don't know. I have three, I think, now. <laughs> I probably have three, too, then. If they find anything good out about me, I'd like to know what it is, because I don't really have anything <laughs> interesting. Yeah, it's like following me around is probably not very interesting. So. No. Well, I don't know. We go to La Scala occasionally. That's yeah, true. well, whenever I go to the Clark residence, there's a lot to be discussed. There you go. There you go. I think people have to realize that there's a lot of security in mediations and there's a lot of safety. And I think that good mediators know better to even discuss things. Like when you're in that breakout room, someone tells you things and says, I don't want the other side to know. You know, no one's going to do that. If they tell you something because they want you to hear it, the mediator's not going to go back in and say, oh, let me tell you something they said in the other room that I'm not supposed to tell you. Good mediators don't do that. No. It's an interesting thing because... You know, I have the cases I do are of a different ilk than, and I had a mediation and it's been a while ago, I guess it was towards the beginning of the year with somewhat legendary retired judge. And there were some things that occurred and it wasn't sort of disclosure that shouldn't have taken place, but 
information that this person was aware of that was germane to what we were trying to resolve that I've absolutely felt should be disclosed and was not. And afterwards, things really blew up badly. And I was just very surprised. And I guess there is a balancing act Sometimes, you know, you're not going to disclose anything the, the, the parties or the lawyers say don't disclose, but there may be information out there in the ether that's important for people to really reach a genuine, all-encompassing and complete agreement. I wonder if you ever encounter those issues. All the time. And, yeah. and what I try to do is I try to convince the person that I'm in caucus with that it's probably more helpful to share it. Because with families, you're talking about an ongoing relationship that could blow up and that impacts not just them, but their children as well. And so I try to convince them. The one thing I don't like about media uh, caucusing that way is oftentimes you're stuck with taking a message over that may not have been as accurate because you don't have time to check it with the people in the room. And so I've, I mean, I've really gotten into, all right, I wanna be clear, I can share this, 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 and this, this is what your proposal is, which takes a little more time, but you know, I agree with Jolie. I don't think people tend to share the big news that, you know, that, oh, well, I've got a secret bank account in the Cayman Islands. I don't want my wife to know about. Oh, okay. So is that where you're paying my fees to be quiet? So, but as a, you know, as a general rule, I think I, I like the, and probably just for me, I like the remote because I can just walk down the stairs. My commute is lovely. And I have a husband who brings me coffee. So. And is a fine cook. He is a fine cook. Very. Fine. I don't. I don't think Zoom takes anything away from the mediations, and I think, in all honesty, I think the lawyers at this point really are emerited and they're agreed to the process. And as long as everybody says it's a good process, which is all I'm hearing, I think it's going to continue to be Zoom. And even after, hopefully, God forbid, we don't have this, but even after the COVID becomes in the rearview mirror, I still think people would be better served doing mediation remotely, because I think it, it does save time and money. I would imagine it substantially reduces the burden on the court system as well. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the courts appreciate it, and it helps their dockets because they're so behind right now. I mean, anyone who walks in, at least in Howard County, they're going to be waiting a good year and a half to have their case heard, a good year wow. and a half. We're down one judge. We might be down two judges. And you know, you have to wait for your settlement conference six to eight months, and then you get a trial date a year from then. Wow. Yeah, the time standards that we used to follow in family law are, are out the window right now. And I uh, guess the lawyers are all aware of that. So they're telling their clients that stuff. I just wonder if people who are acting on their own behalf are cognizant of that, and that motivates them to come to you, or whether that's something they just learned during the process. Well, and some people, it does better for them to wait the year and a half. Some people, yeah. you know, they might be better off. It's strategic, but a lot of people feel like, you know, that's way too long to be paying legal fees for a year and a half and mm -hmm. going through this, you know, unfortunate. Emotional. Yeah. The emotional toil too. Yeah. And yeah. I think that that can be pointed out in mediation and oftentimes mm -hmm. it's court ordered in family law as a right off the, the, the bat. In um, non-family cases, there's that the period of discovery and most attorneys don't want to mediate until after discovery is done. Right. So that they know what all the, the facts are from their perspective on the table. I regret to say we're out of time, but I would be making a mistake if I didn't ask 
if one hypothetically wants to have either of you mediate something, how do you reach out to Joe Lee and how do you reach out to Cece? Well, the best way to reach me is to go to my website, which is agreeonit.com. Can you spell that? I know it sounds... Sure. It's A-G-R-E-E-O-N-I-T.com. Okay. How about you, Jolene? We have a website also. It's Weinberg and Schwartz, um, but we also, you know, we take phone calls, 410-997-0203. We're open, you know, nine to five, Monday through Friday, but not every lawyer is there every day just because we rotate to keep the numbers down. Okay. Well, I'd like to thank you both. It's been a very enjoyable and informative show. I hope we can get you to come back to Everyday Law sometime in the future when the pandemic is over. Sounds good. Sounds good. good. Sounds good. <laughs> this has been Everyday Law. I'm your host, Bob Clark. Farewell. Connect with us. We are Dragon Digital Radio.